0: Hey everyone, this is Josh Itzo, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 33 of the Fiduciary U podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to quickly mention the launch of my new tech platform for retirement plan advisors called Fiduciary RX. It's the simplest way for advisors to diagnose, prescribe, and improve fiduciary wellness for plan sponsors all in less than 10 minutes. It gets prospects to yes faster, it gets clients to yes easier, and the feedback and adoption from advisors so far has been fantastic. If you're an advisor, head over to www.fiduciaryworks.com to sign up for a demo and check it out. I think you're going to want to add FiduciaryRx to your tech stack. My guest today is Leah Sylvester, who's a partner and director of retirement plan services for Shepard Financial. Prior to joining Shepherd in 2015, she worked as a retirement plan designer and plan consultant, as well as an actuary for companies like Ascensus, Nihart, and Mercer. Leah and I first met when she was the featured guest on an episode of Retire Retireholics I was co-hosting. Needless to say, I was super impressed and immediately realized she was a rock star advisor and knew she needed to be a guest on this show. And as you'll hear, she didn't disappoint. This is a very powerful episode, and the honesty and transparency with which Leah shares both her successes and failures is both courageous and moving. A major focus of our conversation is about the importance of providing more women in the industry, not just a voice, but a seat at the table in the leadership of advisory firms. We cover topics like the critical role that mentors and sponsors play in helping the next generation develop, why it's hard to be vulnerable in the workplace, especially for women, and requires intentionality, how COVID-19 created a life crisis for Leah and caused her to do a lot of soul searching to recalibrate her life outlook, both professionally and personally. We also discuss how leaders of advisory firms, both men and women, need to step up and serve their employees more effectively, overcoming the fear of asking for help, how men can pave the way and also lift up women in their organizations. And we even talk a little bit about retirement stuff. And Leah shares how her experience working for a TPA has helped her counsel her clients effectively and the benefit of providing fiduciary training to clients with a specific focus on the plan document. This was an amazing episode, and I'm grateful for Leah's willingness to come on the show and share her story, and I'm proud to now call her a friend and a colleague. She's a wonderful ambassador for our industry. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fiduciary U podcast. Leah Sylvester, welcome to the Fiduciary U podcast. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. Excited to be here. I'm glad you're excited. I am super. <laughs> excited. We're going to have, I think, an awesome show, awesome conversation today. You are a partner and the director of retirement plan services at Shepherd Financial. You and I actually originally met. I don't know, maybe a month ago or so on an episode of Retire Holics. You were the featured guest and robe guy. Mark Palmini, was was out. I think he was at a golf professional golf tournament. He was watching, and so uh, JD asked me to kind of co-host and be on the show. And to be honest, I didn't think I'd heard your name, but I didn't really know who you were. I was so incredibly impressed by you and your thoughts and your comments. Took a little while for the group, you know, to let you get a word in Edgewise, but once you did, I just thought you had some incredible insights. And so afterwards I shot you an email and was like, I have to have you on this show and you agreed. So thank you.
1: Yes, I am so excited to be a part of this conversation. I had so much fun on the Retire Holics episode and getting to know you better that I felt like this could just be a com- continuation of that conversation.
0: Well, we are going to have fun today and I think we're going to be talking about some topics that that are really relevant and important within the industry and and just so listeners are aware, I think this is going to be one of the coolest episodes of the Fiduciary you podcast. Um, there's probably not going to be a ton about actual retirement that we're going to talk about, and so you'll 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 hear more as we kind of get into it. But Leah, before we do, why don't you give a little bit of background about who you are, how you got into the retirement industry, and then ultimately how you got to Shepherd and uh, what you do there on a day to day basis?
1: Sure. So I actually grew up outside of Detroit, Michigan, and went to school at the University of Notre Dame, and I studied mathematics. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but somebody once told me that, generally speaking, people who are good at math make good actuaries. So coming out of school, I started working on large defined benefit plans as an actuarial analyst, and then realized being an actuary is a lot harder than what they tell you. So... I also wanted to talk a lot more than most actuaries, so I moved into the 401k space as a third-party administrator for two firms for really the first eight years of my career and then was asked to be a part of Shepherd Financial back in 2015 as the firm was getting started as a merger of two prior businesses, and I was the, named the Director of Retirement Plan Services, and I've been there now with Shepard for seven years. Working with plan sponsors, developing our service model at Shepherd Financial, and really uh, have been able to grow our team from sixteen members now all the way to the size of 30, and was made partner of the organization in 2019 and have really never looked back since.
0: That's that's awesome. You know, usually in these conversations with my guests, I'm the dumbest one of the two, but that is like doubly so on this call the fact that you uh majored in mathematics and were an actuary so i will do my very best to try to keep up with you uh intellectually but um you may need to throttle a little, a little bit because i think your neurons fire a little faster than uh than mine do what's the difference between working as a tpa and and as an advisor and and like how mm-hmm. is that that whole kind of transition like what what was easier about it what was harder
1: this might sound a little abrupt, but I, I, I feel like the biggest difference is back office versus front office, client facing versus not. As a TPA, at least my experience was very much back office. You learned a lot about the intricacies of a 401k plan and all of the ERISA compliance rules and tests that go behind the scenes, if you will, whereas a financial advisor simply talks about those things high level. Mm. In my role at Shepard, I found as much as investments are an enormous part of what we do, they really are only a part of what we do. And so much really is talking about the things that the third party administrator knows in and out, and yet they're not out on the streets having those conversations. I think it's But definitely client-facing front office compared to to that back office feel, and that's ultimately for me why I enjoy this side of the business so much more is getting to consult uh, on a daily basis, on an every single minute basis, and getting to help people more directly versus behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, you really get to play the role of more architect than tradesperson, right? From that perspective, and you know, it's funny. people who are listeners of the show and who know me know that, that, you know, my opinion is that investments are important, but it's like 10 or 15% of the gig it's become even more commoditized over the years. I would say investment due diligence, investment selection, that's like the easiest part of the job, but being able to translate the, and, and this is where I think you have a real advantage, right? Really knowing the nuts and bolts, but being able to kind of bring that to life and, you know the best advisors, and and you've built a pretty phenomenal practice at Shepard. You know it's it's being able to influence and shape and courageously lead plan sponsors to you know to be able to make the decisions they they probably wouldn't make on their own, and the fact that you have that background, you know, so much for for as much as we talk about fiduciary liability, and certainly in the large market, like that is that is real, but. I would say that that generally speaking I know throughout my career smaller plans 50 million and under the risk of operational failure is so much higher than the risk of you know getting sued by participants and and you know operational failures that's expensive you know getting those corrected going through a VCP like and and so as advisors can really help plan sponsors on that end and when you help clients kind of unwind. Nobody wants an operational failure, but I mean, they're hot. They happen all the time. These plans are so complex and they're so system dependent. Have you found that, that being able to really, I, I found that it, it created, when you really help a client work through operational issues, you create a sense of loyalty in a much, much stronger way than, you know, just being able to talk about a, you know, a fund lineup and investment due diligence. Have you found that as well kind of in your experience?
1: I have. And again, this is not a knock on any of my TPA partners by any means. I I just feel like as an advisor, you're actually getting to meet with a plan sponsor in person, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, or at least over a video call and having some of these conversations. At Shepard, we do fiduciary training and one of our sessions is on plan documents and knowing what your document says and are you doing it in practice? And it's probably the number one session that people, I think dread sitting through because Mm -hmm. it is so technical. But like you said, it's been the one that has retained business has won us business because No one's told them ever that their document said this. And all of a sudden now we have, we have corrections, we have things. And there are, you know, just things that you're pointing out that, that knowledge base and being able to consult on that, that's really what plan sponsors need more than what investments do I need in this lineup and, and whatnot. It's really, how do I run this program and stay out of trouble and making sure that my eyes are dotted are crossed on all those not fun compliance items or document issues. But that's where, that's when they care because that's where the dollar signs come in. If, if, if failures or corrections are needed.
0: Yeah. And that, that is, you know, I always used to say that like operational failures, if you're in like HR, that's like a serious career limiting maneuver. When you, when you have a, you know, I I had numerous times throughout my career where I came across plans that, you know, we're talking, you know, six figure corrections. They, they, and, you know, and sometimes it's as simple as, you know, the payroll system you know, there was a glitch and they wound up, you know, somebody didn't get, you know, when they became eligible, they weren't, you know, given the opportunity to join the plan. Or I remember there was a, I'll leave the payroll company unnamed, but we saw this with a number of our clients is they had some glitch where at a, if, if a employee had hit the compensation limits, but hadn't fully contribute, you know, been able to contribute, they turned, they turned them off. And if you, you know, know the ins and outs of the rules and regs, it's not when somebody, they take their total comp in for the, the plan year. It's not like if somebody hits the comp in, in June, that's not when you should, you know, when you should turn them off. And, and that was like a, it was something that, that nobody, like we found it, kind of uncovered it and then actually went to another other number of other clients that were with the same payroll provider and said, we need to check this. And sure enough, like it was some system glitch that had happened. But I can tell you like those aren't fun conversations, but they are fun in the sense of when you can solve that problem for a client, you just build this massive loyalty. And like you said, most clients like, they just want to know like, do I have an issue? If so, what do I do? And let me get it fixed. And, mm-hmm. you know, let me do whatever I can to make sure this doesn't kind of happen again. I bet your insights and just knowing the nuts and bolts, probably more definitely more than most advisors. You you can't just you don't just talk about it, like you understand it from the ground up. I bet that's been a big benefit to you and your practice over the years.
1: I'm not a very good BSer. So I have to know what I'm talking about. I've
0: learned that about you.
1: I'm not very good at that. I think people can read right through me when I am just placating around some sports team that I don't actually follow or whatnot. So I don't don't do that very often. So it's been helpful for me in my career since I don't, I lack that skill to actually be able to know something to back up those conversations. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, and and, and so here's where for listeners, the thrust of this conversation is is going to go and you know one of the 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 cool things about these conversations is we do a little bit of prep time before the actual we hit the record button lee and i had actually a really really good conversation in fact when we we connected a few weeks back to even talk about doing this you know we talked a a lot about the need for more mentorship and sponsorship in the industry especially for women. And so that's gonna be a big thrust of this conversation today. And, and I think Leah's gonna have some pretty incredible insights about this. But Leah, why don't you you start by just talking about kind of your experience and, and why you were so passionate about giving more women within the industry and, and even within your own firm, not just a voice, but a seat at the table.
1: When I was a TPA, I was surrounded by women in our office. We were heavily female-dominated and yet there really wasn't a lot of leadership within our organization. We had a manager who was female, but ultimately there wasn't a lot of leading. It was a lot of, here are the rules and we need to make sure we all follow them. And for the most part, we were a very solid team from that perspective, but there wasn't a whole lot of, development in terms of how to accelerate your career, how to look for other career opportunities, how to build on just general skill sets. It was, here's the job, meet these deadlines, do it well, and we'll give you, you know, a, a little bit of money along the way for it. When I went to Shepard, it was, and moving into the financial consulting on the investment side of things, it was a completely different world. I was the only girl, it felt like, in in most of the rooms. I was constantly playing catch-up in terms of learning the investment consulting side of this business, and I was having conversations with so many people, particularly men, and I don't think I was ever getting eye contact. I was being overlooked, and it was something that I realized very quickly, I can sit be quietly behind the scenes and hope to be noticed, or I can try to do something about it. And so I fought very hard to become all I wanted to do was become a partner of at Shepherd Financial. And it cost me so many hours uh, of work, so many weekends gone, just doing everything I possibly could to grab somebody's attention. I just thought if I could be the absolute best, bring in the most business, service our clients, add add additional services to our model, make us a presence that somehow I, you know, I, I get this breakthrough, but, Ultimately, the reason I broke through is because of both sponsors and mentors of mine that really helped me along the way because I feel like no matter how good you are, it is true. It is all about who you know. You have to know something, but it's so much more important to know people who can help you get there, And which is why I do feel pretty passionate now as somebody who has reached a lot of my own goals, still reaching for others, but it is definitely something that I know I could not have gotten there on my own. And how can I return those favors or help others reach their goals along the way? And, you know, especially as a woman, we are told to just to follow the rules and to make sure that we're staying in line and we don't really feel all the time we're encouraged to think outside of the box or to stretch beyond what the task at hand might be. I think oftentimes it's because women are overloaded with so many other things going on, but taking that time for yourself and really promoting yourself and figuring out what can I do to further my value and my goals is generally speaking so far down the totem pole. That's why we're not very good at it.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting, and, and you and I talked ahead of time and, you know, they're there, and I think this is changing in the industry, but You know, too often we get caught up in these kind of negative sum games, right? If there's, you know, eight slices in a pizza, you know, if I take one slice or if you take one slice, that's one less slice for me, right? This kind of negative sum. And I'll relate just a quick little story I had kind of, I had mentioned to you before we started recording was, you know, 20 years ago when I started at Morgan Stanley, my very first week, I was in the men's room. The most senior advisor broker in the office walks in and he saddles up next to the urinal right beside me, which if you're a dude, you know, like that's a no, no, like that's, that is just bad bathroom etiquette. And he's like, what's your name? And I told him, and he didn't call me by my name. He called me rookie. He goes, rookie, if you want to be successful in this business, this is what you got to remember. What's mine is mine. And what's yours should be mine. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, number one, this is the most awkward conversation I've ever had. And number two, it's the worst advice that I've ever, that I've, you know, that I've ever gotten. I I, I feel like, I think that's the way the industry used to be. I think in some corners it still is, but, you know, we need to, all of us recognize that, that this business is a positive sum game just because, you know, I get a client doesn't mean you can get a client just because I have some measure of success doesn't mean you can't have some measure of success. And you know, in, in, in some ways we need to, and that's, I think, that evolution from, you know, being just a player to a coach is how do we look for people and how do we begin to lift them up? How do we give them opportunity? How do we give them voice? And, you know, you and I talked a little bit about mentorship, but there's, and, and, and I want to talk about that and and kind of your philosophy on mentorship. Mentorship is really bringing somebody you know, alongside and kind of teaching them the ropes, investing in them to kind of teach them how to do this. The other thing, though, I think is sponsorship. You need someone to advocate for you. You know, a mentor can typically be either internal or external. And I've been blessed to have an incredible group of mentors over my life. And we'll talk probably a little bit about this. And I think maybe you've had a similar experience, but they didn't really find me. I had to kind of track them down and and in many cases, sell them on why they should mentor me. It wasn't like they were kind of looking for, looking for me, but sponsorship is more internal. That is someone to advocate for you, not necessarily teach you the ropes, but to help make space for you and give you a voice and give you an opportunity and bring you kind of shepherd you, <laughs> if you will, to the table, you know, so that you can can really fulfill your poten- your potential. So talk a little bit about just your experience with mentorship, both in terms of being mentored And maybe you've got some experiences, you could talk about that. But then how you've kind of now pivoted to being intentional about mentoring others.
1: So I agree with you on mentorship in that it doesn't have to be somebody who is in this industry. I think mentorship is really just helping somebody. It's a a sounding board in a lot of ways about issues that you might be going through, decisions you're, you're trying to make. And oftentimes, you really just need an outside party to help you determine the best course of action or, or lay out those pros and cons and talk those through with you. I also think it's just generally someone with a little bit more life experience and oftentimes. So whether that's specific to financial services, and I think there's great mentors to have within your industry as well as outside, I agree. I think that's more just general guidance along the way that helps you make those types of decisions. And for me, that's always been actually outside of my, of, of financial services. I never really had a great mentor in financial services. And I think some of that comes with the fact that I didn't really have anybody that I could talk to. I felt like I was boxed in and, and by not, and by even talking about things that I was concerned about meant that I was admitting a weakness. And I think that's been hard for me in the, it had been hard for me in this industry is just feeling like if, if you had a concern or a question, especially as a female trying to get ahead, you couldn't admit that. You couldn't talk about that to, to somebody that close. So, being, so vul- all of my- being
0: vulnerable was a hard thing to do.
1: Very vulnerable was very hard being vulnerable at all. You just you just didn't want to show any first of all any emotion, any sort of confusion, or are not being fully sure on something. I remember when I went started shepherd, somebody set, threw down a couple of fee disclosures in front of me and told me to to figure out how, the costs of the plan. And as a TPA, I'll just tell you the only costs you knew were maybe your own fee schedule. No one talked about an expense ratio of a mutual fund or. Asset charges and how plants are paid, revenue sharing, reimbursements. And yet I, I couldn't simply say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I had to just quickly scramble and try to figure this out on my own. Thank goodness for Google and and having a math brain. But honestly, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I have, I have no idea. And yet being too afraid to admit that. So all of my mentors have really come from outside. And, and one of them being a, a good a family friend, a female who is a partner at a, at a law firm, and I just would would talk to her about things along the way. Just what have you, how have you, you know, what did you deal in this type of situation where you didn't know what the heck you're talking about and yet you had to figure it out, so.
0: Do you think that, so just out of curiosity, do you think that that was more of your own kind of head trash that I can't be vulnerable or I can't, do you feel like that was more of a, a, a culture thing within the company where that was looked down upon? Or do you think that was more of, you internalizing and thinking that was the case and then kind of operating as such. I know myself in business and personally at times, like there's a lot of head trash that can go on where it's more my perception than it is reality.
1: Most certainly the latter, my perception versus the Mm -hmm. reality in this particular case. I just felt like my own was my own worst enemy in this mm. particular case, and just not just simply asking for help or saying, "I don't know this that that was a totally acceptable answer, looking back right. but in my mind i could not I could not admit that I did not want to admit that I wanted to save that type of vulnerability or mistake for something for something else that would ultimately i'm sure you know ha- has shown its head, but no, I definitely whenever I can. I would not want to, to admit fault from that perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny now that like the position you're in, like, I'm sure if somebody came to you, number one, like if they didn't know, like you want them to say that, cause that's a teaching opportunity. Number two, like if you, if somebody doesn't know, you want to make sure you show them because otherwise they're creating risk. Right. But a lot of times, and this is probably a learning lesson for firms that are out there is. A lot of times we leave things un, unsaid. And I think it's when we, when it's kind of a, maybe a lack of communication that creates those spaces for where kind of people can misperceive things. And I think that's probably a learning lesson for, you know, those of you who are listening that either are running firms, or running practices, or have people that kind of report to you is don't assume that they know that it's okay for them to admit either mistakes or that they don't know get that out on the table and communicate that that that's how you learn that's okay that you want them coming to you I think that's probably a good you know, that's probably a good learning lesson don't just assume that people know that because they may not they may misperceive that
1: I have to laugh about the retire and the the you know using an acronym right and and there's a penalty well I remember the painful
0: penalty, man. That's a, you got to <laughs> drink corn liquor, man. That 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 super uh, painful, super painful.
1: But I remember the first time somebody sat me down and said, "You guys keep talking about Orissa. Mm. I have no idea what that is." Right. And and my firm and someone who 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 surely shouldn't really know what it is. It was a very like genuine question, and I was so proud of that person for even asking that. I mean, to, to even talk about an acronym we we throw around so loosely right and what does that actually mean for someone to have the courage because the way we always talk about things it's like it almost feels dumb like it it does to ask i don't know what that i don't know what that means i don't know what 4 AP 2 is or i don't know what whatever whatever it might be basis point
0: basis point is my favorite yeah that's my that yeah and and you know, so and and that's just an interesting because that relates probably to clients as well. Right. We're we're kind of this echo chamber in the industry. And so we talk about we use these acronyms because we know it. And a lot of times it's hard to have the awareness that we're probably using those same acronyms when we're talking to clients who aren't in the know, let's say, or prospects mm-hmm. who aren't in the know. And very few people are going to have the self-awareness or the confidence to raise their hand and say, Uh, I don't really know what that means. Like, what are you talking about? Right. What are they going to do? They're just going to remain quiet. They're going to kind of shut down or whatnot. And, and, you know, one of my kind of core philosophies is that our job in the advisory industry is to, you know, make the complex simple. And just because something's simple doesn't mean it's simplistic or it's, it's not sophisticated. A lot of times people confuse simplicity with lack of sophistication, but the real art to being an advisor is to be able to take all of that complexity under the hood and then be able to package it, if you will, in a way and communicate it in a way that that makes things really uh, simple. And I've, I've said this on podcasts before, you know, Woody Guthrie said that, you know, any, any fool can make simple things complex, but true genius is being able to take the complex and, and make it simple. So, again, another kind of lesson takeaway. And we're all guilty. Like, we're all guilty of it.
1: Completely. And I know we kind of took a turn here, but I think for me, that was that was something that I wish I had more of going back to your original question about having a mentor, which is someone to tell me it's okay to not know the answer. It's okay to admit that you don't fully understand this concept, it's okay to not be, you know, perfect. And I still have to tell myself that sometimes, and oftentimes, to just be, be willing to, to be vulnerable in that Mm -hmm. way. And, and, and people will respect you more for that as well, to just being open to saying, hey, I, 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 this is something I don't understand, or for some, when you're, when you're helping someone who's on the opposite end of that conversation, right, you're that much more likely to have that empathy for that person to be able to help them teaching a concept or to encouraging them to for for opening up and not pretending like they know when they don't. Right. So I I do wish from a mentorship perspective that I had more of that, which is part of the reason I, I do feel strongly about helping others so that they don't have so they can hopefully learn from my, some of my mistakes.
0: Yeah, And so how how are you intentional about creating that vulnerability in your position as a leader within the firm now and a partner and running this practice group? Like, what are some of the specific things that you do to try to encourage and foster that type of vulnerability now that you've kind of been on the opposite end? And we talked a little bit about women in particular, and this is probably a broad generalization, and, and that's not kind of my intent, but that gen- women generally are going to be more rule followers and there are good things to that, but there are also some limiting things to that as well. Like, what are some of the leadership lessons you've learned, like you try to deploy now to create more openness and dialogue and vulnerability with the people that, that you know, you serve within the firm now?
1: I, I will answer that. But I think it's funny, as you were saying that about women being rule followers, I think that is so true to the point where we're so busy following the rules i think we forget to have dreams i think we forget to do something beyond the tasks at hand and i think honestly it's something that's held women back and we don't even necessarily realize it we're just so trying to be really good at what we have in front of us versus thinking about what what could what what could be the next thing that's actually in front of us what do we really want to be doing with our time effort and energies and so, what have I been doing to help women with being a better mentor, with helping them get to where they want to go? First, it's thinking about where that is. So, I generally have the best time and, really, obviously, the best success, if you will, is having that one-on-one conversation and meeting with somebody on a, on a somewhat regular basis. I say somewhat because. Life it gets so busy that again as women we forget to take the time to invest in ourselves and I think taking an hour to have a conversation fully about us feels super selfish. We just we just don't do that. That's a enormous amount of time it feels like for the week or the day to selfishly want to talk about me, what I want and where I want to be. That that that's like almost unheard of. But I really am trying to be intentional about putting that time on calendars and making it happen. And going off-site, going off-site somewhere where, where people can relax and feel comfortable. If that's coffee, if that's a cocktail, if that's a meal, if that's just a walk in the park, whatever it might be, to really try to unwind and separate from the grind of the day-to-day so that this can be a conversation about that individual. And I think it starts with, again, what do you really want? Where are you trying to go? Are you happy where you are? If you're not happy where you are, where do you want to be? Mm. Then how can we work together to try to try to get there? How can we get there together? And I think it is, as you mentioned, vulnerability. It's talking to somebody and making sure that you're willing to be open about your own failures, Mm. your own successes, things that you've learned along the way that might not always be that glamorous or that flattering. But people respect people who are willing to be honest because we are all so imperfect in so many ways. I don't have enough time to talk about all the things that I've done wrong in my life, but I think by showcasing that there are ways to learn from those mistakes and sharing what you've learned along the way really helps people to build up a trust. And then from there, being more willing to have those conversations and, and having some of the tough conversations you need to in order to get through, to get where you want to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that word trust is so important because you can't have vulnerability before you have trust. That and, and there's a great book by um, Patrick Lincioni or Lincioni who is he's written like the five dysfunctions of a team and five temptations of a CFO. I think the five in the five dysfunctions of a team, he's wrote a book, an awesome book on on culture called The Advantage. Um, I'm a big Patrick Lincioni fan. But I think it was in the five dysfunctions that the team, one of those dysfunctions was lack of trust. And he actually specifically talks about the need for having trust before you have vulnerability. If people don't believe, don't believe they can trust you, they're not going to be vulnerable with you because they're going to feel like you're going to use that vulnerability against them. I love the fact of getting off site. I think that's like a, I think that's a genius insight because sometimes the four walls of the office can be you know a bit limiting you can feel like you've got to be on your best behavior I'm in the office what are people going to think and just the ability to move that off site probably starts to break down those walls where people feel like okay I can I, it, it just it's one of those signals that that I think you you send probably to your people when you get them off site that's like a that's a that, that that's another probably lesson you know think about if you've got you know when you're meeting with your team members Think about meeting outside the office. Is that going to help promote a healthy level of trust and vulnerability where people can be more honest about, you know, what their hopes and dreams are, what their struggles are? I think that's, that's really, really smart. You know, the idea of sponsorship, and we had kind of talked, and I know this is something that, because there is a difference, in my opinion, between mentorship and sponsorship. I think there's some overlap, but mentorship a lot of times is more of like, this is kind of how you do it. Whereas I think sponsorship is more of inviting people in and giving them kind of a seat at, at the table. And I know that's something you're really passionate about now at Shepherd. Were you the first female partner at Shepard? Is that correct? That is. And, and I know one of the things that's kind of on your heart is now how do you help more women as a sponsor, if you will, get up to that um, level? Why are you so passionate mm-hmm. about that?
1: I think that most people who know me at a surface level, which is a lot of people, right? we are only really few people in this world that we have beyond surface level type relationships. But I think most people would say I'm a very nice person, pleasant, sweet, just very whatever um, Taylor Swift-like, if you will. And I would say for the most part, that's true. And yet... I know that I have a lot deeper levels than that, and some of which I'm I not very proud of. I spent
0: this is where so the conversation many, is about to get real for listeners. I'm just gonna tell you. Yeah. You get a little vulnerable here. So
1: I spent so many of my years trying to get ahead at at really any cost. Mm. And I I have lied my way through so many things to, mm. to better promote myself again not wanting to ever make mistakes but blatantly lying about things that i knew or or maybe things that i didn't do mm. or people that i actually knew and had no had never met i became a very i was obsessed with getting ahead and making making my name and doing whatever it took and part of that along the way was making sure that nobody else ever came near me particularly any other women. Mm-hmm. I would do just enough to manipulate somebody to make them think that you know they were very important, very needed, but really it was only so that they could help me get to where get to where I am. Mm-hmm. It was a sing- it was a single sum game just with me being the only winner. And as soon as they got there, that, that was all I really wanted and it was really very empty. It was completely unfulfilling. And then something called COVID-19 came around and my whole life was turned upside down, just like many other people, but both professionally and personally, all of a sudden everything changed and I went through an enormous life crisis and through a lot of deep soul searching and a lot of therapy, came to realize that that's really not who I am As as a person. I got very lost along the way and so I am very passionate about hopefully making amends and undoing some of the things that in my past I had I had I had done to other people and it's very important for me now to have other women not just having a voice but I want them to be at the table we have so many important things to say and I was one of the lucky ones who did have a sponsor and jenny Stout was one who who brought my name up in several conversations after after taking the time to hear me speak one time at a plant sponsor conference. I, I I couldn't believe she even showed up, but then from there, she sung my praises to all the right people to make sure all the right doors were open for me. And here I am today on a podcast with you, Josh. But my whole world changed. I was I was asked to be a part of so many other leadership positions. And women wanted to talk to me. Women wanted to be me. And I had no idea what had happened. And looking back, it was all because of of one very important woman helping another. And again, realizing that the way to get there is not by bringing down others or holding them back. It's by lifting others up. And I know that is like an over cliched phrase, but it is so true. And it's something that I am passionate about now because I I know other women out there are like me the way I was before. And it it doesn't have to be that way. There is so much room in this world for all of us. And I really want to help everyone find their unique voice with, with what they want to do.
0: Mm. Uh, That is so powerfully. and, And we talked about ahead of time and, and, you know, one of the things I had brought up to you and I really appreciate you being, being vulnerable. I think that that's one of the things in getting to know you a little bit, that I think is so impressive about you. On the Reti- retire Holics show, I had asked you a question around, like what your kind of you felt like your greatest failure in business was, something like that. And you you were very honest about that. And then, you know, I've had a ton of failures of leadership in business, and and um, leaving Greenspring was a really hard thing for me because I had to come face to face with where I fell short, and there were some things that that I look back and. You know some lies I told myself, and and some misperceptions you know that I had, and I remember I I kind of shared something, and then the chat bar. If anybody watched you know, people who re- watch retire Hollis knows what happens, but like the chat bar started blowing up with people just getting vulnerable. That's the power of self awareness and vulnerability. If you if somebody models that it, in a sense, communicates in a really powerful way that there's permission for other people to do that. And I know, and, and I appreciate your vulnerability. I know one of the things we talked about ahead of time and i kind of brought up is, look, there there are clearly stories and realities of men holding women back in the workplace. But one of the things I, I kind of had asked you that, that I have experienced or seen, not experienced, but seen, is that in some ways women can be as limiting to other women and maybe more so in some cases, I think, because there's such a fight to get ahead and to kind of arrive and then once you do there's this feeling like I got to hold on to this at all costs and any you know other instead of this kind of positive sum game you know any other woman they they might take my spot and I need to basically do whatever I can to hold on because I've worked so hard to get here and you know that's probably not a popular take but you know I, and I've actually had some some women that I worked with Uh, in the past who kind of reached out to me to say that they had kind of experienced that, that challenge by other women, some ways ways should be the biggest advocates for one another, but in some cases make it so hard. And I just, I really appreciate your vulnerability in that. I think that's one of the most impressive things about you. So, you know, so often I think self-awareness is a superpower. A lot of times we don't, did, did you recognize that's a question. Did you recognize what was it through COVID that kind of opened your eyes up to where you, like, did you realize those things about you as they were occurring or was, was it through COVID something in particular that happened where it kind of like the scales fell off your eyes and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that I was kind of operating in that capacity. Does that make sense?
1: It does. I think I knew it in the moment pre-COVID when I was being a bad person when i was making choices selfish choices narcissistic choices that it, 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 it hit your brain in a certain way and yet you push through you push through because you didn't really care you knew it but at the same time you kind of just pushed that little devil down <laughs> and and you just kept going you just or, or i guess the other your angel down i suppose in this case you just, you just kept doing it. You, you, you almost, it was always too late. The words were already out of your mouth. The action was already taken. And then you kind of realized, Oh, that was kind of a terrible thing that you're doing. The so die. I realized it
0: was already cast basically. So it was, it
1: was, and you were already so far deep, so far mm-hmm. gone. It felt like the only thing to do was to keep going mm-hmm. in order to survive. Yep. And then when COVID ha- hit, there was nothing and no one there. What what was it all for? What was it all for? Completely frivolous, really. In the end, it really didn't, it didn't amount to anything because ultimately there was, you know, it's, it's the relationships that matter. And when you're, you're, when you're not very good at relationships and you're not treating the people, people ultimately can see through that. And I think that was my awakening is just, Truly feeling alone and having time to self-reflect mm. on some of those choices that I had made in life and realizing that that's, that's not who I really was, not who I wanted to be, and taking some pretty serious steps in just in not in not uh, not doing that. I had become somebody who I, I chronically was telling lies, and I didn't really even know why. Like I just had to say... You know, I had, if somebody said they had, they managed 40 plans, well, I had to manage 45 and that's, that's a terrible example because that's not even one, but it's the only thing I can think of right now at the top of my head, but I had to one-up them. I had to pretend like it was somebody went on a vacation somewhere and said, have you ever been there? No, I'd never been to Switzerland, but it sounded good if I, if I had and retold somebody else's tale about Switzerland and how great it was and all these things. I had become this person that just did whatever it was needed to get ahead. And again, for, for what reasons, to what end? I, I don't really know. I, it's hard for me to recognize that anymore. But I think through all of that and through through COVID and having time to self-reflect and really going through this, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we talk about work-life balance. This is going down a different tangent, but for the first time in my life, I actually have work-life balance where I start and end the day very religiously about when I start and when I stop. I'm very precious with my time because I'm realizing that's the only asset that I have you know, limited resources on. And it's incredible when you actually take control of your own life, the fruits that can come of that. And you know, you talk about men and women, and I think men are do a much better job about, I'm going to do what I want when I want it. <laughs> And women, we feel that we are serving something else or that we cannot miss out if we set a limitation. Mm. And the minute I got over that fear and actually made some boundaries in my life, it it has changed completely who I am and the amount of happiness that is in my everyday. And if I could share or encourage one ounce of that with others, men or women, I want to help do that. I think what you said about women holding other women back is. most certainly true in certain times. I don't think all women are that way, but I think some women can certainly be that way. I think men can be that way. I also think men and women can help lift each other up and I've seen it happen left and right. There are certain men in my organization that, or not even at my organization today, but just throughout my life, who I know have held me back and others who I know have helped me shine and rise. So I think it is a little bit less. I think there can be stereotypes stereotype by gender very much but ultimately it's individuals and it's surrounding yourself with the right people men women it doesn't matter but don't be bogged down by those people my former self who who you know are holding you back you you know that and yet i feel like as women we we let it happen more often, maybe than men. We're just too afraid to step outside of that, that line, that box that we're told to follow and and follow those rules that we don't have the right courage when we know something's not right to, to step out sooner than we than we do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love what you said there. I mean, I don't think this is an either or, right? It's not like a binary. It's more of a both and end. And I think that that, you know, I think women and men, like everybody needs... They need somebody, and we talked about this ahead of time, to believe in them and to cast vision in them. And to, to, you know, that that is where you start to achieve levels of, you know, we talk all the time about leadership. Leadership is not a, it's not a position on the org chart. You can have somebody who's in a position of leadership who is not a leader whatsoever. You can have people that maybe aren't, you know, um, I, I, my philosophy on org charts is really, I call it invert the org chart. Like so often, right, we have like the, the partners, the leaders, the owners at the top of the org chart, and then everybody else below. Well, as leaders, we need to men and women. We need to think more about inverting that, right? Where you have the leadership at the bottom, and they are there to support, you know, the people that they serve. And it 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 it's not just it. It's powerful visually, but what that communicates, you know. And 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 in our business, there's a couple of things that you said. It's funny whether you're a man or a woman. Like this is an ego dominated business. It just bottom line. And, and, you know, when you let your ego get out of control, and I, I am guilty. <laughs> I did a lot of deep work after leaving Greenspring as well. And, and I have so many wonderful memories, but I also, I had to come face to face with some real failures of leadership on my own. Sometimes where just my ego got out of control and, and getting to a point of, of, of recognizing, you know, we are in this business that's fiduciary focused. I mean, the essence of what it means to be a fiduciary is to put somebody else's interest before your own. That's not just for clients. That's the people that we work with as well and and you know and 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 maybe this is more common with women who are just kind of hoping, you know, sometimes maybe and and these are general, you know, generalities, but you know, maybe there's a view that men kind of make their way make their voice, raise their hand, kind of push forward and like, you know, bully their way into the, you know, in, in to a seat at the table and you know, perhaps women at times you know, are, are desiring and hoping, kind of like Janya did with you, that somebody would see you and, 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 and elevate you. And I think there's a couple of lessons there. If you're in a position of leadership and you're listening to this podcast, like, I think you need to lift your eyes up and start to look around and look to the people at your firm. Not what they can do for you, but what can you do for them? What can you do to lift them up, to elevate them, to pour into them, to put their interests first? I think the flip side of that, though, there is individual accountability and responsibility. Like, if you're in a position, like, don't be afraid to go to you know someone and ask you know for help. I mentioned like I've had an incredible set of mentors over my career, but in a lot of cases, in fact, most cases, they weren't kind of looking for me. Like I literally had to go. And I have one mentor in particular, who's in the business, Jim Wise, who's the wisest person I think I've ever met. But like, I had to meet with him like multiple times and convince him, like, I was like, I want you to mentor me. And like the first couple of times, it's like, no, nope, I'm not going to do it. Like, I literally had to wear him down. Like, it's like, I was prospecting him. Like, I need you. Because when I found in my mentors, when I found something that was desirable. Like I wanted to be in their orbit and I was going to do whatever I could to, to get in that orbit. Like, and, and, and if that meant that I had to knock on their door and show up at their, you know, their doorstep and beg them to mentor me. And I think that's probably a good lesson for people in general. If you're in a firm, like find, to Leah's point, there are going to be people who are going to limit you and hold you back. Like you should minimize your, your, you know, you got to interact with them, but minimize, you know, what you do there. But I think find the people who exhibit the the traits, the qualities, the the things that you desire and want to learn from. And don't be afraid to raise your hand and go to them and say, will you help me? That's one of the things that that honors someone. When you ask for their help, that honors them. And most people who are successful, not all, but most, they want to help others. That's this business. Like most people want to help. That's why they get involved. What are things that men can do to help pave the way for women, Leah? Because I do think there's an important responsibility. A lot of times it's not because of a lack of desire. It's just kind of a lack of awareness. People get so busy, their heads down, kind of doing the job that they don't really see around them. What do you think some things that 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 men can do to help lift up women and help them along, if you will?
1: I think by human nature, we are drawn to people who have similar interests as us, right? Mm-hmm. So when men want to talk about what happened over the weekend, which, which, basketball teams one and I, I'm not saying women don't watch basketball I don't mean that but there's there's some things that we just have a an, an more natural sense about I would joke about men's locker room talk I have no idea what really goes on but I'll tell you what happens in the men's locker room it's and what's pretty, so cha- pretty <laughs> The she ch- the chatter in the women's locker room could not be more different I am I am I am 100% certain about that right and it's because we naturally talk about different things that we want to talk about when my husband goes out with his friends I say what's new with this person this person we didn't talk about their wife or their kids or what they're doing when you talk like what like and that's all we want to talk about as women so my point of saying this is that I think naturally men especially in the workplace tend to gravitate sometimes to other men unknowingly not realizing that it can be excluding in that regard because you just naturally want to talk to a guy about whatever you want to talk to and same the same goes for for, for women, so what I would say to encourage men to help lift up women, the first step is just be okay with being uncomfortable, right? It might not be the easiest thing to talk to a female about something that you know isn't isn't as, as common, where you know maybe they're really into cooking, for, for 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 instance, and I'm picking terrible stereotypes here, but but just something that. that it might make you you uncomfortable. That there, I, I know. know, I know. As soon as I said it, I'm going, this is just going the wrong direction where I'm trying to go here. But being okay with being uncomfortable, yeah. right? Being willing to do something that is not as natural as talking to your male counterpart. Talking to a woman about what's important to her and really listening today's conversation this morning i we have an all employee meeting and there's so many things happening in my head right now that go back to this meeting but one compliment that i paid to one of my male counterparts is that he of all all the men in our organization actually listen versus just going through the motions listening with intention taking notes following up, really hearing what that other person has to say, whether it's male or female. But I think particularly with the females, where that might not always be an easy conversation. It is something that takes a little bit of effort and and time. And I think that that's something that I would encourage men to do is what women in your office are you not talking to? OK, who have you not really had a conversation outside of something What's the latest with this client? That kind of conversation. Take it to the next level. That alone, getting to know somebody and getting to know will be the first step in being able to try to help them because if you don't even know what they want, then that then that's step number one. And I think a lot of us miss that mark just in general about figuring out how to get beyond just that superficial conversation, that, that surface level.
0: And make it less transactional is what I, I hear you saying in some ways. Yes
1: in every it's way, yes.
0: not, not just kind of transactional, like, Hey, what's going on with client So-and-so. Yep. You know, I think just from a leadership perspective with, if you're a man or, or you're a woman that, that is listening to this and I, we had a kind of a unique thing we did at green spring about kind of creating a, a culture of like recognition and appreciation. But one of the things that I used to do and, and maybe people can, can, will find this helpful or not is, I had a little what i called praise journal and so what i used to do is when i would see people do certain things i would write it down because i didn't want to forget right so often we're we feel unseen we feel unheard and in a lot of cases maybe we see somebody do something that's praiseworthy but in the moment i got to get this meeting and then you forget about it so you know this little praise journal what that forced me to do was like in the moment write down kind of what i saw so that I could kind of bring that back up. People desire praise, you know, you need truthy and gracey, right? You need to be truthful with people, but you need to have some grace and praise with them as well. So that that was one thing I always found that was helpful because I didn't forget. It's kind of like clients, right? Why do we remind, why should we remind clients of what we've done for them over the past year? You know, we used to do, I used to do that annually. It's kind of like, hey, here's all the things we accomplished together over the past year. Partly because I wanted to remind them because I knew they probably forgot the good thing that I did for them, you know, when it was January, the thing I did for them in April that, you know, I would have hoped they would have remembered, but they probably didn't. So it was a nice little way for me to nudge and remind them. But I think you should do that with your people as well. Don't forget, reinforce the good things that you see in them and figure out a mechanism to do that.
1: Friday is National Employee Appreciation Day, if you did not know. And as part of our meeting this-
0: right now, I, I, uh, so I did not know that. I probably should have.
1: <laughs> but I'm always a sucker for any sort of celebration. But this morning, what we, we normally have a question of the week, and everyone has to answer this question of the week, and it's kind of get, get to know each other at another level type of thing, team bonding. But today, I gave everybody a pass on the question of the week, because I think some people totally hate it. But the, what I did instead was today, I had I had to go, again, as somebody who supervises everyone, I had to give a compliment, and I really picked a, a single word to describe each individual, and I could never reuse the word. And personally, I loved it. I have no idea what other people thought, but I I think it went over pretty well, right? Like you said, showing appreciation. And I will tell you, Josh, selfishly, I am uh, an Enneagram 3 who cannot hear enough good things about myself. Like I I live off of this. I am a words of praise, love language person, whatever that's called. But for the first time today, I gave all the words of praise and, and got nothing back. That was the whole point of the exercise. And I was okay with it. For the first time, I actually felt like Mm. a leader or someone who didn't need didn't need that reformation. I could simply pass it on. And that was actually a huge revelation for me. And the amount of my cup was overflowing Mm. without needing any of that oh my gosh it, it, it pays dividends is my point of of reiterating what you just said
0: yeah so i'm a the five love languages uh i'm a words of encouragement right that's what mm-hmm. it is and, and i'm actually an enneagram three with a two wings so like i'm the say it like i'm I, I know where you're coming from there's some really good things about being an enneagram three there's some uh not so good things with that with that as, as well what are some of the res- like resources or organizations within the industry for women and trying to elevate and and help women get more of a voice at the you know within within the yeah. industry?
1: So two organizations that I'm involved with. The first is the Women in Retirement Conference. Um, it's something that I attended first time back in 2019, kicking and screaming. Why do I want to go to a conference with all women? This sounds like a terrible idea and here i am now co-chairing the event for 2023 so i obviously came back and 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 was totally wrong there is nothing better than being in a room with your peers and being able to not talk about industry for 3 days it is so much more about working on yourself mm. it is one of the most selfish times i think all of us in the room take and it is so fulfilling mm. And I think that room is a, is a good place that if you're going in with any sort of fears, any sort of chips on your shoulders, I, that conference will will change you. It is one of those things where you're surrounded by women who truly want to help women, people of all different levels of experience. And it is such a great immersion where people are actually open and honest. And if you're not, someone will sit you down and get to the heart of who you are. And I, I love that about this conference the other organization that I'm a part of is Wipin, So we inspire, promote, network. And it's all of those things. It is very inspiring and in promoting and networking and very intentionally about how to have that conversation about getting to the next level of promotion that you want. Mm-hmm. How to ask specifically for a raise. How to dive into a, a conversation more intentionally. Very strong skill developments as a part of that Organization as well, so and I'm sure there are others that I'm not involved with, but those of you two that I know firsthand really are working to having conversations with women and are starting to chip away at some of those things we, we we just didn't talk about before. Yeah,
0: I'm going to make sure to put links to those in the show notes afterwards. And this is my challenge to to listeners: if you are a man in leadership at your firm or you are a partner then what you should do is you should pay for some of the women in your firm to go to these conferences. That's going to send a powerful message to them that you're investing in them in their career and that you do want them to have success. So that's, that's my challenge to listeners. Leah, this has been an, it's gone by fast. It's been an awesome conversation you know, what we didn't talk about was really much retirement related. I can just say that you are a rock star in the industry. I heard that on Retireholics and just the way you've gone about building the practice at Shepard. You are a super talented advisor, but I got to tell you, this has been one of my most, one of the most enjoyable episodes that I've done. This will, this will be probably number 32 or 33, but I am just incredibly grateful that you were willing to 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 be honest not just about your successes but about you know uh, lessons learned and, and, and failures and and I think listeners will get a lot out of this and and I just think you 're great for this industry, I think you 're great for your firm i'm just i'm grateful that that you, you talk about this today because I think it 's a story that needs to be heard I think it 's something that gives others permission to talk about and and maybe if you know as a takeaway from this episode you know, we get the conversation going, maybe that's going to be really helpful within the industry. So I appreciate you you hopping on today.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing my story and my voice. And this has been so great to get to know you better, Josh, as well. I love the dialogue. I don't think I even realized how much I, sometimes you're so busy doing what we're doing yeah. that you forget that how much you enjoy what you do. And so getting to talk about, getting to talk about that for an hour has been a real treat. So thank awesome. you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have an awesome day. And thanks again for being a guest. You were a, you were a rock star. Thanks, Josh. In today's episode with Leah Sylvester from Shepherd Financial. If you'd like more information or to learn more, go to fiduciaryworks.com slash podcast. And while you're there, make sure to check out Fiduciary RX, my new tech platform that helps retirement plan advisors diagnose, prescribe, and improve fiduciary wellness. And make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to the Fiduciary you podcast.